Welcome to Careers in Your Ears, a podcast for PhD students and research staff thinking about their futures, made by the careers consultant team for researchers at King's College London. I'm Anna Favalesa, your host for today's episode. We're dedicating a whole series of the podcast to the topic of mental health and researcher careers. In our work as careers consultants, we know that there is a connection between life purpose and psychological well-being. And we wanted to explore through this series what is available to support the mental health of researchers and what can be done more widely in academia to make it a sector where people can thrive and flourish. In this series, you're going to hear from senior academics at King's, members of the research talent team and student and staff representatives. We'll also hear voices from outside academia. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Evelyn Wells, Senior Vice President for Service, People and Planning at King's and Professor of Renaissance Studies. A warm welcome to Careers in Your Ears, Evelyn. Thank you, Anna. So um, perhaps you could start by giving us an overview of your career so far. Gosh, well, my career started um, really in the early 80s when I came over from America to do a master's here in the UK at the University of London, something called the Warburg Institute. And in, in those days, doing your PhD in anything under 10 years was regarded as a bit frivolous. And, and really, you know, how could you be serious if you submitted within five? So my PhD was on secular fresco painting at the court of Galeazzo Maria Sforza, 1466 to 1476. Um, and uh, it took me five years. I managed to submit. I managed to get a um, temporary job at the University of Essex teaching something that had nothing to do with my PhD after that. And uh, I, I then went on in, in some cases because my PhD topic was so specialized, but my teaching requirements, teaching art history were so broad and moving from part-time job to part-time job to postdoc. So I had seven years of early career postdoctoral or temporary teaching positions before I got my first open-ended contract at the University of Sussex. Now, I, I, I also had three children during that time and uh, no maternity leave. And it's absolutely not something I would ever want anyone ever to go through. But boy, when I got my first open-ended contract, did I know what I was doing. I knew how to juggle. I knew how to manage people. Um, and within a few years, I was head of department. So those kinds of choices that we all have to make about what direction do you go in, the research direction, the teaching direction, the administrative direction, I, I, I never had to ask those questions because basically I, I was doing all of them. And I continue to try to do all of them. I now have five grandchildren. And I have a, I'm still an active researcher. I have a Wellcome Trust Senior Investigator Award. And I am the Senior Vice President for Service, People and Planning. Wow, that is quite a career. I do like the idea that a PhD, you know, should not be less than 10 years. That's, uh, things have changed, haven't they? So you're now, as you said, the Senior Vice President for Service, People and Planning. So what do you want to achieve with this role and how do you think it could affect researchers at King's? The role is a new one 
and I was invited to take on what the new president, Shittij Kapoor, sees as some of the kind of key distinctive features and challenges that King's faces going forward. We have always been known for service. King's and King's staff don't just undertake research and education for its own sake. You know, curiosity is a really important thing and we encourage that, but we do it for a purpose. We were set up as a public service institution in 1829 and we remain a place that serves society. So PhD students and early career students may feel completely overwhelmed by just the day-to-day -day requirements of finishing that PhD or undertaking publications. But so many um, of our early career staff really contribute to local communities, to making a difference to the groups with whom they work, to serving patient groups, to collaborative engagement with community groups. And, and that's the exciting thing about the service side. It's a real definitional part of what King's is. The people side um, is, I'm so excited about this. The people side, we have a, a council committee for estates, we have a council committee for finance. We've never had a group who really focus on the thing that makes King's tick, the thing that makes King's special, which is the people who work at King's as alongside the students who study at King's. So, so again, there we'll be looking at um, working very, very closely for uh, with Tim Newton and others in the Center for Doctoral Research and the Center for Support for Early Career Researchers on that journey throughout your academic career. We know how tough it is to be an early career researcher. I certainly know from firsthand experience how tough it can be. So we want to make sure that that sense of purpose, that sense of curiosity, that sense of you know where your career is going never leaves you. So that's the people side. And then the planning side, and obviously is looking towards the long term future and particularly around our space planning. How do we create the right kinds of communities, the right kind of environments in which everyone at King's can thrive? So um, I was hoping to get an alliteration of perhaps partnerships, people in planning, but actually service is so important for King's. It ended up as SPP rather than PPP. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, so I asked to interview you based on a talk you gave during Postdoc Appreciation Week, which was great, where you were talking, I thought quite inspirationally, about your experience of designing grant applications when you were in, when, once you'd reached that kind of um, level, to ensure that the people who are coming next, the, the early career researchers, would have the sort of career development opportunities that would help them be ready for their next roles. And I was wondering if you could expand a bit on your experience of how you and perhaps you've seen other supervisors and PIs can support researchers to thrive in their careers. So it's a real myth that principal investigators just want PhD students and postdocs as lab fodder as kind of people who churn out the data. So if they're very lucky, they end up as first author and the um, PI ends up as, as last author. And all you're there to do is to create the H index that the PI needs. That's a real myth. Most of us are really nice people who really care about our teams and their success. I'm a humanities scholar and team working in the humanities is relatively new. 
And when I began um, applying for grants for the very first time, I put together, uh, it was then the Arts and Humanities Research Board, a £250,000 um, application to work on something called the Material Renaissance, which asked a really simple question, which is, if Michelangelo is paid 200 scudi, what could he buy with it? Four years later, the answer came back, it depends. Depends on who he knows, where, what religion buyer and seller are, whether you're paying in cash, et cetera, et cetera. So a great project. And I was given more money than I had ever had in my life to run this project. And when we sat down, we sat down, my collaborator and myself, as two people who had only ever worked on our own. We'd only, you know, in the humanities, writing an article by yourself is what's expected. Writing an article or much less a book with somebody else is regarded as actually something that's slightly frowned on. Publishing with your PhD student is even more frowned upon. Publishing the work of your PhD student is regarded as plagiarism. So very, very different from the sciences. So we had to come up with a structure that would allow our, what became our six PhD students and three postdocs to thrive as individual researchers in their own right. So from the very beginning, we had to build in both collaborative work teaching collaboration skills, which none of us had, and something that each individual PhD student and postdoc could take away as a demonstrable achievement in their own rights. And, and since then, that's how I've continued to work. My most recent grant, I'm a senior investigator for the Wellcome Trust with a very large five-year project. I've had five postdocs. And from the very beginning at interview, we say, what do you need to get out of this? And then in the first couple of weeks, we sit down and say, what kind of career path do they want to have? And, and postdocs and PhD students often want very different career paths. And then we build into their project, their contribution, something that will actually lead to their success. So of those five postdocs, two are now lecturers in their own right, one um, has actually become a research grants manager at a national museum. Another has got a three-year Leverhulme, and we're still working with the um, last postdoc who only recently joined to ensure that she too has her long-term future and looked after. Now, now we can't promise that everyone will get the job of their dreams, but what we can do is to try to unpick things from the very beginning and essentially do a, a give-get. If you give this to the project, you in turn will get this from the project. And what I'm really pleased about is we all have actually quite a lot of fun working together. And the postdocs from previous projects have now gone on to run their own labs and their own teams um, in, in a humanities sort of way, uh, in this way, with this approach. And so one of the PhD students who became a postdoc is now a PI on an ERC grant in her own right and taking this uh, approach to really looking after your team um, internationally. And I'm very, very proud of that. Well, that's great. And how much do you think we could try and make sure that that happens more broadly in, in universities? Or do you think that is happening? I think it happens more often than we might expect. 
but we need to do it more systematically. So you can imagine a situation in which after your induction, you're asked to outline what your career aspirations are, and then you're encouraged to have a really realistic conversation, not just within your own immediate community, who can often be very focused on what that immediate community needs, but for example, uh, talking to a, a careers consultant who might say, well, look at all the skills you're developing. Why not map those skills and reflect on those skills on a very regular basis and do some additional training um, while you're a postdoc or a PhD student with us? Because you may or may not know about all these other opportunities. One of the things that we did within the Renaissance Skin Project, the Welcome Trust Project, was we sent um, one of our postdocs went off on a secondment to the Victorian Albert Museum, funded by the Welcome Trust. And through that secondment, she gained a huge range, not only of skills, but also a lot of insight into what museums, museum careers could look like. So when she came back, we were able to very swiftly um, modify the plans and the projects so that she was in a really excellent position to apply, not just for academic positions, but also for research grant, administrative positions and museum positions. So it's that willingness to be flexible on the part of the postdoc themselves, but also on the PI, and then we have such great resources at King's, encouraging everyone to take advantage of those resources. Great, thank you. Yeah, I think getting the support from everywhere you can is, is a really good tip, isn't it? Um, so um, we said that this series was particularly about mental health and we've talked a little bit about how um, PIs can support their researchers to thrive. Um, Sort of slightly in contrast to that, there was some recent research from the Higher Education Policy Institute that showed that 80% of PhD students believed that a career in research could be isolating and lonely, and then a third of them thought, sought help for anxiety and depression. And I was wondering if you think, um, well, what you think about those uh, figures, and also whether research to some extent has to be an isolating experience, or if we could actually do it differently. So. We need to talk about mental health and we need to talk about our well-being and we need to do so in a way that doesn't assume that everything that is negative now will be negative forever. We often try to fix people when actually it's either the system that needs fixing or, or, or simply tea and biscuits that need and problems shared. It's the sort of sense that we're in a competitive environment we can't talk about our problems or at the other extreme, you have a quit lit literature, which is all about how disastrous academia is and, and how it will destroy you unless you destroy it first. So somewhere in between that sense of isolation and that sense of hopelessness is a place where you can join together in the collaborative excitement of curiosity, support, writing together, reading together, talking together, having a drink together, and feeling that you're part of a community 
of people who are curious and caring for each other, not just competitive with one another. When I submitted my PhD, I was very aware that it was probably not going to be read by very many people. In fact, I could have had the five other people who really cared about the Duke of Milan between 1466 to 1476 to dinner. And that would have been easier to do than try to get the book published. And in fact, I did have them to dinner. And it was absolutely fantastic because being with someone who cares as much as you do about a specific subject should be a source of joy, not a source of anxiety and competition. And do you think we can help that to happen more? So I think we can absolutely help that to happen by connecting, by being willing to talk and not problem solve for other people, but be willing just to sit with them and listen. Listen to where their aspirations are, listen to where they want to go, um, provide much more mentorship and support from a very, very early stage. But also, you said, you know, if you decide that you want to go into industry, if you decide you want to go into research grant administration, if you decide you want to go and teach, if you decide, that's a success. That's a real success because you've built up extraordinary range of, of skills, understanding, self-awareness while you've been doing your PhD and postdoc and taking that outside the walls of academia and into our broader community is something to be celebrated um, rather than seen as somehow a failure. And I do worry and where I really worry is that we've defined success so very narrowly in academia that we don't allow for the celebration of all kinds of achievements that uh, the people at King's um, should be really, really proud of. So that I do hope we will see changing in the near future. Thank you. Um, I mean, and that's great because I think that's also what we would say as careers consultants too. Um, and we talk to a lot of people about um, celebrating what they have and how valued that is in all sectors, not just in academia. Um, so what tips would you give to early career researchers who might be at the you know, early stages of their careers at the moment? Do you think they face any specific challenges? Are there any particular tips you think would be useful? So the challenges have changed a lot since I was a postdoc myself, but they remain the same. You know, is, um, you're not paid very much. You aren't quite sure what the kind of unspoken rules are with any particular community. Your job will come to an end before you've necessarily found a new job. You're just at a time when you want to start a family. And so just at the moment when you want more security and actually there's less security. I think the key tip I have is to believe that um, to, to, to not to believe that you deserve to have a job, but that you believe that all the skills that you have developed are really valuable and will be valuable in the future. And to enjoy what you're doing in the moment, as well as building up a CV for the future. I, I've seen far too many people take on, um, let's say, dissertation topics or take on postdoc topics that they really aren't enjoying, that don't spark their curiosity, 
that they don't really care about. And, and actually the joy and the pleasure goes out of it, at which point all the drudgery feels like genuine drudgery as opposed to taking you somewhere that you're really, really excited about. So, so be very careful in assuming that taking on any particular academic task will lead you to the promised land of your future and try to make those tasks those that genuinely um, spark your curiosity or actually be open-minded and say, well, I didn't think I'd be interested in this, but let me just be open-minded and see how I could be interested in this. Because, you know, we only have so much time on this earth and we should use it wisely. Thank you, Evelyn. It's been really lovely to talk to you. I think that's a really nice, hopeful note to end on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you for listening. And do leave us a comment on Twitter on KCL Do One Thing. And join us next time on Careers in Your Ears, where we will be continuing our exploration of researcher careers.